We're doing this one word series. There's the slide. Hopefully you will be reading uh, this next week in your devotional book if you've got one. And in one of those days devotions, the author tells a story about how one time he caught two fingers in the hinges of a door as it closed. And that, just thinking about that, should make us wince a little bit. Yikes. Uh, His instinct, he says, you'll, you'll read about this, his instinct was to yell in pain, which would be our instinct as well, because the pain was tremendous as it shot up through his hand and his arm. But he suppressed that instinct because he was in a building lobby surrounded by several people. And so he did what a lot of us do when we get hurt in the presence of others. Uh, We pretend like we're not hurt, which is what he did. He, you know, just acted like he was totally fine. And he walked out to his car. He waved goodbye to, to everybody else. And it was only when he got in his car that he was able to, oh, you know, wince in pain and uh, allow himself to feel the pain from that injury, and of course drove quickly home to put ice on his hand. We do that, don't we? Have you noticed this, how when we get hurt, we don't want anybody else to know about it? We put on this brave face. People around us, they know that, you know, there's something wrong, that we have injured ourselves, but, you know, we're like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, don't worry about it, I'm good. Lauren told me a story that's similar to this one about when she was in high school, which, of course, in high school, that makes, that makes it worse. But she was walking up a flight of steps in the high school building, and she tripped, fell all the way to the floor, bruised up her shin, stubbed her toe to the point that it was bleeding. But you know what she did? She just put on a brave face and acted like everything was just fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm not in pain. And we do that. Why is it that we do that? But you know, the same is true of us when it comes to not just physical pain, but emotional pain and suffering. We go to great lengths to make sure that nobody knows about the hurt in our hearts. And we put on a brave face about it. And when we come into church, we touch those magical door handles and we put a smile on and it doesn't matter What's going on in our lives? It doesn't matter if everything is a wreck and it's falling apart. We're going to act to everybody else like we are just fine. We feel just fine. We're not suffering. That's our word for the day, by the way, suffering. We're not in pain. We're not hurting. We're not worried about anything. We put on a smile. And when somebody asks us how we're doing, the answer is, I'm fine. We pretend like we're not hurting. We hide it from other people. But let me tell you something, that cannot be said of the psalmists. Have you read any of the psalms lately? Have you read not the praise psalms, not the psalms of trust and assurance, not the psalms of thanksgiving, have you read any of the laments lately? This classification of psalms where the psalmist is complaining and he's expressing his sorrow and his grief? and his suffering, the psalmist, they did not even try a little bit to hide the pain that they were experiencing. They were intensely honest about it in these psalms that we call laments. And Psalm 13 may be the most famous in that entire collection of 150 psalms that we have in our Old Testament. So we're going to have a lot of the text up here on the screen, but I really do want you to get your Bible out 
your Bible, if you've got it, or you know your phone, you got the app on there, and open up Psalm 13. This is where we're going to be this morning. And that will only benefit you to be able to consult your copy of God's Word as we look at Psalm 13. I want to start by looking at these first two verses. And you'll see what I mean about the honesty, the openness, when it comes to pain and hurt and suffering. Listen to the psalmist. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets right to it. How long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The honesty here is stunning. And let there be no mistake that this is somebody who is hurting, somebody who is suffering, and he's not trying to conceal it or hide it in any way. He just opens up bears his heart, and asks this question four times. How long? How long? Now, when he's asking this question, he is not seeking information. He's not looking for a timetable here. In asking this question, the psalmist is expressing this feeling of being unable to endure any longer. In other words, when he says how long, he's actually saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm standing on the edge of the cliff here. I have had enough. I'm up to my eyeballs in hurt and suffering. How much longer? I can't take this much longer. The psalmist feels here like Paul must have felt in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. I'll read this to you. He is recounting some of the struggles that he experienced in traveling around and preaching the gospel, and he lays it out for him. He's honest with the Corinthian church. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So despite the fact that you will often hear Christians say, God will never put more on you than you can handle. The fact is, it often feels like that. And it even felt like that to Paul. He says we were utterly burdened Not almost to our level of strength, but beyond our strength. It was more than we could take using our own resources, using our own strength. We hurt and we suffered that much, so much that we despaired of life itself. How long? How much more could could I possibly take? How much more is going to be piled on top of me? Because I don't think I can, I don't think I can go on like this much longer. I don't think I can bear much more. How long? You know, if some of you let yourself, if you allowed yourself, you would also be able to say with the psalmist, how long? You'd be able to say, how long must I deal with this debilitating depression? How long will this addiction, this sin habit, this temptation keep its stranglehold on me? How long will I feel the pain in my gut? From his death, from her death. How long must I suffer with this disease, this ailment that has affected my body for years, this cancer that I just can't quite seem to kick, that I've sought treatment for and I've been in remission before, but it just keeps coming back worse than before. How long am I going to have to keep facing this? 
How long am I going to deal with the bitterness from being betrayed from that person that I trusted? The person I was close to. That friend. That family member. That spouse. How long? How long will this tension that I experience every time my family gets together, how long am I going to have to put up with that until it's finally resolved? How long? The honesty here. It's stunning. It's foreign to us. We're not that honest when it comes to our pain and our suffering. No, we would prefer to hide it. But we're not only stunned here by the psalmist's honesty, we're also stunned by the way that he approaches God, by his tone with God, by the decision to direct the honesty at God. Now, he is not blaming God for his suffering, for his hurt here, but he is saying to God that if God wanted to do something about it, he could do something about it. So this is not just how long. He's not just expressing this idea. He is directing it at the Almighty God. He is saying, how long, O Lord? He's laying it at God's feet. When I was 13 years old, uh, it was the summer of 1998, and I had the smartest mouth this side of the Mississippi, I just want you to know, at 13. My family took a two-week camping trip out west. We went out and saw the Grand Canyon, went to Colorado. It was a great trip. And I was sitting in our pop-up camper in a beautiful state park in Colorado, and that's when it happened. I was sitting there, tying my shoes, and one of my parents, and I won't say which one in order to protect his or her identity, said something to me that didn't sit well with me. I didn't like it. I wish that I could remember what it was. I asked this parent if he or she could remember, and he or she could not remember what that parent said and how I responded, but I was tying my shoes, and I looked up to respond in a very smart way. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting there holding my cheek because I had just been struck across the face. I'd been slapped. Now, I just want you all to know that my parents were not abusive. And I grew up in a very loving, nurturing home. I need to lay all this out for you. Just so the next time they're here, you don't go up to them and say, what are you doing beating on him? Uh, they didn't. This was a one-time thing. This, this only happened once. And for that reason, I called this parent and he or she said, uh, oh, you remember that? Oh, I wish you didn't remember that. But I remember a lot of good stuff as well. And so I'm there holding my cheek because I had been slapped. I'd been struck because on this occasion, this parent had had enough of my mouth, of my tone, of my disrespect. Now, we might think as we read this psalm that the psalmist deserves to be slapped. I mean, struck upside the head for the way that he's talking to God. You don't get to talk to God like that. That's disrespectful. You don't get to take, have that tack with God, take that tone with him. So we, reading this, think that, you know, this guy deserves a God smack for his disrespect. And he's not done yet. And so our, unco- our, our uh, discomfort with this grows as we keep reading. Listen, listen to verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Answer me. I'm talking to you. Listen. Are you paying attention? Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Sort of like Paul, we despaired of even life itself. We felt like we were on the verge of death. That's how this psalmist is feeling. I feel that I could fall asleep and stay asleep forever. Sleep the sleep of death. That is the point at which I'm suffering. So consider and listen to me. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So this goes beyond God pay attention. Now it's God do something. Do something about this pain. You know how I'm feeling and you have the power and and the resources to fix it. So fix it, God. And unlike us, he has no problem expressing his suffering, his pain, his hurt. He doesn't try to hide it. But we, on the other hand, we pretend like we're not in pain. We pretend like we don't hurt. We pretend like the New Testament doesn't say in places like 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and James 5, 13 that there will be hurting people. There will be suffering people in our midst. Christians who suffer. Paul says if anybody is suffering, everybody suffers along with that person. People are going to suffer. Christians are going to hurt. And Paul says you need to hurt with them. And then James says if you're suffering, you need to pray. So it is assumed in the New Testament that even Christians sometimes struggle with pain and hurt and suffering. And the psalmist, is he doesn't shy away from being open about that, but we do. We're uncomfortable with that. And like us, this psalmist has no problem bringing his suffering to God, laying it at his feet, and calling on God to intervene. You know, sometimes we even try to hide our hurt from God. We try to hide our suffering from God. Maybe we think he's got bigger things to deal with than our hurt. Or worse, maybe we think he doesn't really care that he's not all that concerned with the pain in our heart. Whatever reason there is, we think that prayers like this are too brash, too bold, too audacious to pray. And we wouldn't dare lay our suffering before him in this manner, in this kind of open manner. But the psalmist, as we've seen, doesn't view this kind of prayer as disrespectful. The verses that we've looked at so far. In fact, to him, the disrespectful thing would be to not share what was going on in his heart. The disrespectful thing would be to hide it. The disrespectful thing would be to pretend that God hadn't already noticed it. The disrespectful thing would be to try to sweep it under the rug and not deal with it. And the disrespectful thing would be to ignore God and not seek his help and acknowledge that he and he alone can help. He's the only one who would be able to do something about it. So it's an act of faith for the psalmist to bring his suffering to God. It's actually an act of respect to God to lay his suffering at God's feet because it it acknowledges trust in God. It acknowledges faith. It acknowledges the power of God to be able to do something about it. So it's an act of faith to bring your suffering. And I really believe that psalms like these, Psalm 13 and the others, give us permission to address God in these ways. To be honest with God about the suffering in our hearts. Because the fact is, we need to remember, He already knows how we feel. And He's big enough to handle it if we come on a little too strong. We need to remember this. It is only by openly laying our hurt at God's feet 
that we can begin to understand and deal with it properly. It is only by openly laying our suffering and our hurt and our pain before the throne of God, just dumping it all right there, it is only by doing that that we can come to a better, more biblical, more right perspective on the pain and the suffering that we face in this life. It's only by sharing that we, that we can begin to deal with it properly. It's only after the psalmist has taken his suffering to God that he can say, look in verses 5 and 6. But, there's all this going on in my life, but I have trusted in your steadfast love And what has come before makes that statement all the more remarkable, does it not? Despite the hurt that he's feeling, he can still say, but God, I have trusted in you and in your steadfast love despite these difficulties. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. But singing is something you do when you're joyful, when all is right, when you feel happy. Now, the psalmist said, despite this stuff, I will still choose to sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's dealt bountifully. The blessings that you experience overflow. But what about, what about all the junk you just talked about? What about the pain and the suffering and the hurt? Well, as I think about it, even though I am struggling with some significant problems in my life, when I start counting my blessings one after the other, I can say, yes, even though I hurt, even though I hurt, God has dealt bountifully with me. He's been good time and again. But that kind of perspective only comes if you can be open with God about your suffering, if you can lay your pain at His feet, being honest with God about our pain helps us to come to the conclusion in time that the psalmist comes to. It helps us to trust God more, to rejoice in the salvation to come, to thank Him for the blessings that we enjoy in time. In time. And that's an important phrase we need to remember. Because we don't know as we look at this psalm how long it took him to get from verse 4 to verse 5. We don't know if this psalm was composed in one sitting. Maybe the psalmist composed verses 1 through 4 and later revisited it. And based on everything that had happened since, and based on the blessing of hindsight and the perspective that he's gained since the time of suffering, he can then say, but you know what? As I look back at it, as I consider my sufferings in light of what's come after, I can trust in your steadfast love. Or maybe he composes the whole thing at once and he is reflecting on a past experience of pain and disorientation, but God has brought him to a place of joy and trust. And so he can say, I was here, but now I'm here. But we shouldn't rush ourselves from verse, from verse 4 to verse 5. From, Lord, how long to, I have trusted in your steadfast love. It's not something that can be rushed. God gives us permission to express our pain 
and our suffering to him. There is real evil in the world. There is real hurt in the world. And we do ourselves and our neighbors a disservice when we pretend like there's not. That's why the Bible in the New Testament repeatedly says, weep with those who weep and suffer with those who suffer. Pain and hurt is real. Bring it before God. Lay it at his feet. Don't rush people. Don't rush yourselves. I feel like sometimes we are like, a, like crosswalk cops with other Christians when they're going through a valley, when they're struggling with something really hard. We say, oh, well, I know it's hard, but could you keep on moving, please? We've we got to get, get you across the street, okay? We've got to get you back to happiness, get you back to joy. So let's keep the line moving, all right? You've suffered long enough. Don't rush people. We don't know how long it took this psalmist to get from verse 4 to verse 5. And there's going to be people in our midst, it's going to take them a little while to get from verse 4 to verse 5 in their life. To get from a period of suffering to a period of trust and joy and thanksgiving. But the fact is, we're never going to get there to trust and joy and gratitude if we don't acknowledge and confront God with our pain in the first place. And in the New Testament, we're going to go back to Paul. He has no problem, just like the psalmist has no problem expressing pain. Neither does Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he back to chapter 4 here, he says, listen, we are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We're struck down. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. But from honestly expressing his pain, from being open with God about the hurt that he feels, Paul came to a greater, bigger, more biblical, more godly perspective on the role of suffering and pain. And I want you to listen to him in two places. The first is Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time pale in comparison with the glory that's on its way. And likewise, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, let's, let's bring up that slide there. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. So this suffering is light. The glory is heavy. This suffering lasts for just a brief time. The glory is eternal. And if you were to put my pain and my suffering, no matter how great it is, on a scale against the glory that is to come for all faithful believers, the glory outweighs the suffering every single time. It is no contest. The glory is greater because it lasts longer and it's heavier than the suffering. The temporary light affliction that we face here. It's like the Olympic athlete who can endure the discomfort of waking up at four o'clock in the morning and the pain of an intense daily workout regimen. They're not thinking of the pain. They're not thinking of the sacrifice that they have to make for the time being. They're thinking of the glory of that gold medal that they're going to get in the Olympic Games. Or what about the expectant mother who can bear all the discomforts and the morning sickness and the pain that accompanies pregnancy because she's not thinking about her pain. She's thinking about that precious baby that will be the result 
of what might be a very difficult pregnancy. So Paul, as a result of bringing his suffering to God and the greater perspective that comes with that, he can say, and if you are an astute Bible student, you will notice that I omitted some phrases from that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 earlier. He can say this. I, I now have the full text up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. He says, We are afflicted in every way. Now we read that part. But listen to what he says next. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed. But we're not driven to despair. Persecuted? Oh, fiercely persecuted. I've been beat. I've been shipwrecked. I've been thrown into prison. Beat within inches of my life. Persecuted. The worst of it. You think it's bad for us? In this country, it was really bad for Paul. Persecuted. But not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, but so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Yes, we are suffering. Yes, pain and hurt are real. And yes, sometimes I feel like I am burdened beyond my strength, Paul says. I am suffering, but I'm not totally overcome. Oh no, I'm not totally overcome because I know it's not going to last forever. I know that these are light momentary afflictions. I know that the glory to come is far greater than the temporary sufferings that I face here. You know, dealing with a suffering person can be hard because there are no easy answers. And we shouldn't pretend like there are. Suffering people don't need us to swoop in and to throw a bunch of Bible at them and to tell them they need to buck up and Tell them, give them a, a good theology of what it means to, to suffer. And what they need is somebody to come alongside them who is going to hurt with them. And maybe in time, bit by bit, share the biblical view of suffering with them. And maybe not just with our words, but with our own life and with the example that we set in the way that we live. When people are suffering, they're. There just aren't any easy answers. And sometimes all we can say is that I know it's hard and I know you're hurting, but you know, my God promises that it's not going to last forever. How long? It feels like it's going to last forever, that I'm never going to get out of this rut, this valley that I'm in. No matter how long it feels, it is temporary. And the glory that is to come is eternal. So we may say how long. And God wants us to. And the Psalms give us permission to. To lay our suffering and hurt at His feet. But as a result of being honest and open with God about it, we eventually come to see that our suffering and our pain and our hurt, it has an expiration date. It's not going to last forever. It's going to die along with death and sin and evil and everything else that this old world has to offer. And we'll experience the presence of God in which there will be no grief and no death and no pain 
and where every tear will be wiped from every eye. And that is the vision that we hold forth. Even though sometimes this life can get pretty hard. Someday this suffering that you face will give way to glory. Someday the bitterness and the tension, the cancer and the death, the addiction and the depression. Oh man, we'll look back on those things. And we'll say, they seem to last forever. But compared to this eternal weight of glory, they were just a blip on the radar screen. So this morning, maybe we've got some suffering people. And let me tell you, your pain is real. I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm not trying to make light of it, sweep it under the rug. I get it. You're hurting. But the problem is, you have not brought that hurt, that suffering, that pain to God. And you need to do that. And maybe you also need to, and maybe you want to, bring that suffering before this congregation, before this family. Because what we will do is come alongside you. And we'll hurt with you. And we'll suffer with you. And we'll pray for you. And we'll pray that you'll be able to gain a better perspective on that suffering. But we won't rush you. We won't rush you. We'll weep with those who weep. So maybe this morning you need to come before the Lord. And you want to pray about it. And you want a family of God's people to suffer along with you. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And the promises of a future glory, they do not yet belong to you because you do not yet belong to the Lord. And so today is the day of salvation for you, I hope. If you're not a baptized believer, I hope today you'll come and give your life to Jesus Christ in baptism while we stand and sing right now.